things. Good morning. Place yourself in this scene from this passage with me. I've been waiting for news. I've been waiting for news just to find out what is happening, like what's actually going on with my, with my cousin. My cousin is, he's only 14 years old and he's been sick for a long, long time. And I'm, I live like a few villages away, and we're poor. We don't have anything either. And my, my, my cousin's been sick, and his mom, I, my aunt, I don't know if she can go through this. I don't know if she can handle this again. Her husband just died a couple years ago, my uncle. And it's just her. It's just her and my 14-year-old cousin. And I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen if, if he doesn't make it. You know, in this, this world, it's, it's so hard, this world we live in, that if you, if you don't have anybody with you as this woman, like, you might not have enough to survive. So I start to make my way, my, my way from where I live over to try to find out where, where she is, just see if I can help out, see what's going on. And as I'm along the way, somebody comes up and tells me, your cousin didn't make it. Your cousin died. And I just think, God, why? Why would you do this to my aunt? Why would you let my little cousin die? I mean, he's just a 14-year-old boy. Like, why should he die like this? So I make my way, finally arrive at Nain where she lives, and I, I go, and I'm just, I see her there, and she's just, she's a wreck. She's a mess. She's weeping. She's just filled with both this, this grief, but also fear of what's going to happen next for her. A lot of people like her end up as beggars on the streets or at best. Somebody can maybe take her in. I don't think we can afford to. And so I help out. I try to help out as I can with, there's all these preparations with these herbs and, and oils and spices that we prepare his body. And then he's, he's put out to, like his body to display for people to come and see him. And people are coming around and I'm just sitting there just filled with this grief and kind of mad at God at some level. Like, Lord, why did you let this happen to my poor aunt? And so we go through that time, and then my aunt says, hey, will you please be one of the bearers of the coffin as we make our way out of the city? There's this funeral procession that goes out of the city to the place where we bury the bodies. It's not clean to have that here. And so I feel that kind of combined sense of honor, but, but just grief at the same time with my cousin. And so we go, and, and, and it's this whole procession. All the people of the city are coming around and gathering with us and, and marching out with us. And as we start to go out of the gates of the city, I see off in the distance this, this crowd is walking towards us. And I'm like, what is going on with this crowd and I feel like they're coming right at us and they're not slowing down. They're not having respect for what we are doing. And I'm just kind of frustrated, like, just hold on, just wait. Why are you coming up to where we are having this very important grief-filled moment? We're carrying my cousin to the place where we will lay him to rest. But these people keep coming and I see at the, the head of this crowd, there's a man at the front of this crowd coming right up to us. 
And honestly, I'm, I'm starting to get a little bit frustrated with this guy. Like, why does this guy not just get away and leave us alone for this moment of difficulty and grief? But he walks right up to where we are, right up. I feel his eyes kind of pass across me, and I, I have a bit of a shudder at this. And he looks right at my aunt. He looks right at her. He looks right in her eyes, and I see something different, like where I'm kind of, I'm mad, but I feel like, what's going on with this guy? How could he just walk right up like this? But he has this look of love. He doesn't know us. I don't even know who this guy is. He has this look of care for what's going on, but also this sort of look of, 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 of power, of authority. And he says to my aunt, don't cry. Don't cry. And I think, who is this guy? How dare he say don't cry to my aunt with what she is going through right now? Who can say these kind of words to a woman in this moment, a widow whose only son is dead? Don't cry. And then he's walked right up to me as I'm holding this coffin. I'm holding my cousin up on my shoulder. He walks right up to me and I'm like, don't come near. It's, this, this will make you unclean. And he touches the coffin and he says, get up. Young man, get up. And I'm telling you, the coffin starts to shake and we have to put it down. I'm like, what is happening? And my cousin comes up out of there and starts to talk to us. He begins to speak and he is alive. And I'm telling you, I'm freaking out. What, I don't, like, what just happened? I don't have a place for this. And I'm telling you, I'm a little bit more afraid than I am even happy. And I'm thinking, what is going on? And I'm, I'm sort of shocked and stunned. And I hear the people around start to, to freak out too, and they're raising their voices. And I hear some trying to figure out what's going on. They're afraid. And I hear this one person say, God has visited his people today. My cousin is alive. He's with his mom, and all is well. A radical, radical story that we find in Luke 7, 11 to 17. And I hope, I pray, that that little bit helped you to get into this story maybe a little bit more than just reading it. But I encourage you to read this with me now and continue to place yourself in this story. Luke 7. 11 to 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain, and a large crowd followed him. A funeral procession was coming out as he approached the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son, and a large crowd from the village was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Don't cry, he said. Then he walked over to the coffin and touched it, and the bearer stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Then the dead boy sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. Great Fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, A mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. 
And the news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding countryside. What? What a story. What an incredible story. For so many reasons, this is one of just the best stories in the entire Bible. In a book filled with some astonishing stories of Jesus, this one is right up there at the top. This is the first time that Jesus has raised someone back from the dead. Jesus saw this widow, had compassion upon her, and then raised this boy back to life. I mean, put yourself in that scene. I tried to have us put ourselves in that scene a little bit because I want you to just imagine being there, part of that crowd, part of that funeral procession going out of that city. It's a thing they would do. This is how it would work. They would prepare the body in this way. The body would be publicly presented for people to come and see, and then they would march and process out of the town. And the, the city gate was not just a place of protection or entryway for, from walls, but it was a place of gathering. So even more people are around there, and they're seeing all this happen. That's why there's this crowd. Then there's this other crowd coming with Jesus. It must have been a wild scene, and everybody watches this happen. <laughs> I, like, I just can't even imagine what happens next. And the amount of detail we are not given is astounding. What does he say? What were the words he speaks when he gets out? How did he get out? Was he wrapped up? Was he getting like, ah, you know, like, I don't know. Like, there's so much going on in this story. It's a radical, radical story. But there's three things that I want us to see here that we're going to look at today. It is not just that Jesus can perform this miracle. Three points that I want us to see, and most of them are kind of in verse 13. But it is that Jesus sees Jesus overflows with compassion, and Jesus saves. Okay, so let's walk through that relatively briefly, but let's walk through this and see each of these things that Jesus sees. It says that Jesus walks up. It says, Jesus saw her, saw her. And I think there's a lot more to it than just visibly looking and seeing a person existing. Jesus sees this woman and he knows what she is going through. He recognizes the grief. He recognizes the fear. Because this woman living in this day, she's a widow. This is her only son. It's called a young man. This is like her only source of real hope for income and provision in this world. And he is dead. And this woman is on a road to being destitute, likely. And Jesus sees her. He sees her in all that she feels, in all that she's experiencing, in all of her grief in the midst of it. And you think, like, what actually gets Jesus to do this miracle for the first time? To raise somebody back to life for the first time. We know of him doing it a few times. We know of him doing it himself also. But we, we wonder, what would it cause? Like, what would it take? And it was the fact that this widow whose only son died, and he walks up and he sees what's happening here, and he, like, really knows what's going on. And I want you to know then that Jesus sees you. Jesus sees you. He sees you in the midst of all that you're going through, the midst of your struggle, the midst of your hopes and your dreams, 
maybe those that are unfulfilled, maybe those that you're, you're longing for, maybe those that have had a baby and those that wish they could, both of you. He sees you. He sees you. But he sees you also in your sinful condition. Jesus sees us in our sin. The sin, the wrong that we have done, that we have gone against the ways of God in some way, and that has separated us from an eternity with God, and he sees us in that. And he doesn't just see us, he then overflows with compassion. He overflows with compassion for you as much as he overflows with compassion for this woman. I love that, that turn of phrase, overflows with compassion. You don't just have a God that's sort of begrudgingly giving his mercy, like, oh, fine, these people sin all the time, but I guess I'll forgive them again. No, like he has got this overflowing sense of compassion for us. He sees us, he knows us, Sometimes I, I think like he knows me and he still has compassion, right? Like he actually, he knows the depths of the depravity of my heart and mind, but he sees this woman. He sees this woman in all that she's going through and he overflows with love and compassion for her. The word compassion uh, here in our English is actually a, a Latin-based word, which is uh, from two parts, calm, meaning with, Passion meaning suffer, to suffer with. To have compassion on someone or for someone is to suffer with them. So when he sees her, he doesn't just sort of feel this like kind of pity. He has this, this suffering with, this sense of I'm entering into what you are going through with you. This compassion for her. And he overflows with it. And that's a beautiful thing about our God and in the midst of that compassion, he has that don't cry moment. This is, by the way, the only time in all of history that you're allowed to say don't cry to a widow that lost her only son. This is not prescriptive for you <laughs> of like what to say to people. This is like, in, in, the, like the only one that has permission to say don't cry in this moment is the one that can come up and touch the coffin and have the boy come back to life again. Incredible, incredible moment. But he overflows with compassion. The verse I was actually thinking about during our time of, uh, of listening, our little mini silence retreat that we had there earlier in the service, was this verse, Isaiah 30, 18. This is one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. I love it so much. It says this, Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He longs to be gracious to you. Um, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. Why? For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. That there's this sense that God, again, God isn't sitting back with his arms folded thinking like, ah, these people. No, he's on the edge of his seat, leaning forward, excited to be able to offer his grace, excited to be able to offer his mercy and his love and his compassion for you. He's waiting just for that moment to be able to offer it. He's so gracious. Even when we don't deserve it, he's so gracious to us. That, that is our God, overflowing with compassion. 
And then the beautiful thing about our God is he doesn't just see us. He doesn't just have compassion for us. It is that Jesus saves. The ultimate billboard, Jesus saves, right? Jesus saves. Jesus saves here this young man. Jesus saves our souls for eternity. He sees our sinful condition. He's filled with compassion. And then he acts with resurrection power. He sees this dead young man, this grieving widow, this crowd around, and he acts with resurrection power. It's the first time, again, that we see this, that he foreshadows and displays what he is capable of, that he has power over life and death, that he's not only loving and gracious, but that he has power to be able to bring back to life. But he doesn't just have power to bring back to life. He's loving and gracious and sees and has compassion, right? It's that, that both ends. Sometimes we see God as kind of one or the other, but he's both. He's both of those things. Compassion resulting in action. Incredible, incredible. He kind of freaks these people out because he's walking right up to this coffin. Nobody would touch a coffin. Nobody would touch a dead body. In this Jewish culture, you would never do that. It's the first thing he does. He's breaking, again, all these sort of like religious, ritualistic norms, just like he's broken Sabbath law to show them what really matters. He's breaking these here to show him that his power over life and death and acting with grace and compassion is what really matters, that he is also able to break it, because by the way, he's the God who made it, right? We don't get to just pick the laws we choose to break. God made them, right? God made these things for a purpose. When he comes in, it's like ritual purity and cleansing was not important to the God of the universe. He does not need that. And another thing that's so cool, I think, about this, this story, this series we're in is called Faith Like This. Just last week, we heard this story of the Roman centurion who had this faith that he knew Jesus didn't even need to come to his house, that he could just heal from afar. And, uh, and Jesus said, I haven't seen faith like this in all of Israel. And the faith like this of this passage is interesting because what we don't see, we don't see anyone ask for this miracle. Nobody asks for it. Nobody is calling out Jesus. It's kind of part of, as I was telling the story, you're almost like, what are you doing, man? You know, like, why would this guy be approaching this moment? He comes in and just sees it and acts. With his sovereign will, he comes in and changes everything in this moment for this young man, for this widow. And so I think sometimes we have to... We, we are called to have faith, and we'll keep as this series going, kind of just continually talking about faith and what is this whole thing of faith, but it, it isn't this like, it's not a, a spell that we can give or like some words that we can say or a thing we can do that kind of gets God to do what we want, right? God's going to do what God's will is in whatever situation, and God comes in here and he changes everything with nobody even needing to ask. And so I feel like we need to just sort of relax of like trying to faith it up a little bit. And I think what we're supposed to do is to rest and trust in him. Lord, I trust in your will and your way and your plan. We also trust that his plan is from an eternal perspective. That his plan leads us through all the way no matter what to a hopeful eternity with him. 
that he has all of this in hand. He has all of this in control. We trust in him. We will go through hard times. Let me tell you something. This young boy, this young man, he died again. Okay? Lazarus died again. The only one that didn't die again was Jesus. Jesus rose from the dead and had power over death, power over sin. And because of that, we have a hope for eternity in his resurrection power. And so he's foreshadowing it here. He's displaying what he's capable of. He's uh, giving us a glimpse of his authority. And we trust in that for eternity, no matter what. But we will experience death and pain and suffering in this world. We will. But we know that the resurrection power of Jesus will carry us through it. He'll be present with us in it. And then he will take us into eternity with him forevermore. We trust in that. Because this story is the first time that Luke calls Jesus. Luke, as the narrator, he re- it's the first time he refers to Jesus as the Lord. He says, the Lord did this. He's been referring to him all along as Jesus or he or whatever, and then now he's raised him from the dead, and the Lord. Remember what he's trying to do. He's telling Luke is this doctor who's got this patron friend. He's trying to show how and why Jesus is the Messiah, how he truly is God. And here is now where it turns that he is no longer just this guy, this prophet, whatever. He is the Lord. The Lord is here. He is God himself in human form. And so now we can begin to place our trust in him as the king. He is the king. He's preaching his kingdom. And all these miracles that Jesus does, he's, he's bringing things back to the original creation. He's showing you a glimpse of the garden, right? Like, hey, death and sin have entered the world. Sickness and suffering have entered the world in the garden when, when they fell to temptation, when they sinned. All of that came in, but now Jesus is showing you how he can break through that and bring everything back to to right again. That is what Jesus is capable of. And that's what we look for, an eternal hope in him. I like this thought because a lot of times we think, I gotta just, I gotta do better, I gotta be better, I gotta be a person that's, you know, I I gotta get my life together and all, all that kind of stuff. And sure, we wanna avoid sin, we wanna pursue holiness, But Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. And that's what he's showing you here. He will bring the dead to life. You are dead in your sin. You are only alive in Jesus. He sees you in your sinful condition. He sees you and he has compassion on you for that. And then he acts with his death and resurrection to bring his power to save you forever. And we can trust in him as our Lord, as our King, as our Savior. And the beautiful thing is that he's, he's also present with us in this earthly suffering. He's with us in all of it. And so I want us to consider and think today, how do we respond to this? How do we respond to the meeting of compassion and power. Because <laughs> this, this story is this, this awesome collision of both compassion and power that brings radical change. We want to have that kind of radical change in our lives. We want to have the kind of life 
that knows that we have the, the, the love of Jesus as well as the power of Jesus in our life. And I want to remind you that Jesus sees, Jesus overflows with compassion for you, and Jesus saves. And I think our response has to be kind of like what the response of these people was. You look in this story, they see all this happen. I mean, again, like this is crazy if you saw this happen. You would be freaking out if you saw this happen. You'd probably be pretty excited, but also a lot scared. And so you look at verse 16, great fear swept the crowd and they praised God, <laughs> right? So it's this reverence and awe, but it's, it's a healthy fear and then the praise of God. Great fear swept the crowd and they praised God saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us. And then I feel like those people like sort of get it, but not really. And then God has visited his people today. God has visited his people today. And my prayer is that you would have a sense that God is visiting you as his people today. And may we respond with reverence, with awe, with a healthy sense of fear that recognizes who Jesus truly is. Do you come to church each week and you know you're supposed to and it feels good and it's kind of like, I feel like I'm kind of, yeah, like you're getting me ready for my next week and I'm grateful for that. Jesus is the God of the universe that can bring the dead to life. Respond to him. Respond to him as a holy God with power, with such radical, mighty power that can bring the dead to life. And he sees you. And he has compassion on you personally. And that power is here for you. So I encourage you today, if you have never responded to him to recognize who he truly is, to say, Jesus, I believe that you are God. Jesus, I believe that you have this power to raise the dead to life. I pray that you would raise this dead person to life. Bring me to life in you, Lord, and trust in him for that. Today, pray that. And I'm gonna ask all of us here in a moment as we begin this, this next time of worship through singing, just to, if you're able to, to get onto your knees, to be on your knees in some way, or if it feels more appropriate for you just to stand in a posture of surrender to him with your arms raised, recognizing who he is as a holy God, he is a holy, mighty, powerful God that loves you deeply. Let's respond to him in that reverence and awe, but do not let your response to him be apathy, okay? It shouldn't be nothing. It should be something and something strong. So let's worship him in the way he deserves now. Let's be on our knees before him, submitting ourselves to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I pray in the name of Jesus for those here in this, in this room today that have not yet placed their their trust in you for eternal life. I pray that right now they would do that. If that is you right now, as we all are praying here in this moment, would you just simply raise your hand? You need to acknowledge that Jesus 
is God, to trust in him for eternal life. Let me pray with you. Jesus, I believe that you are God. I believe that you can work these miracles, that you died and rose again. And I place my trust in you for eternity. May we all now in this moment just recognize who you are, Lord, and give you the worship that you deserve because you are worthy, Lord. Thank you that you are a God that is both so powerful and so personal. We worship you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.